On today's episode, we will be learning about uh, clinical trials that are designed to target cancer biomarkers. Today, we have Dr. Arturo Loiza Bonilla joining us to teach us all about biomarker clinical trials. He is an experienced medical oncologist and our chief medical officer here at MassBio. He is with us today to help answer some of our questions. Hi, Dr. Loiza Bonilla. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, nice talking to you. Thank you so much for having me uh, in today's uh, program and looking forward to an exciting uh, discussion today. Yes, us too. Uh, so we can get started. Let's start by simply asking what are biomarkers and which cancer types most often have biomarkers? Yes, so biomarkers is a broad term that basically it's a way to differentiate or identify different cancers based on subtypes, right? So in the past, we used to focus only on the site of origin of the cancer. So let's say breast cancer uh, or lung cancer, uh, just based on location, but now we go deeper, right? So the first type of biomarkers that we start to look at are, uh, you know, biomarkers of different types of tissue that are within that tumor. So in the case, for example, of lung cancer, we have, uh, you know, different biomarkers or stains that differentiate between what we call as adenocarcinoma versus squamous cell carcinoma, which had different, you know, prognosis and different uh, treatment options for them. And the same can be said, for example, in breast cancer, where we have biomarkers for hormone receptors, right? We have estrogen and progesterone very commonly. And we also have, for example, HER2, which is another biomarker on the surface of the tumor. And that makes a difference between being what we call triple positive, which is has the three biomarkers, or triple negative when it has none, uh, or just hormone positive, which is when it has either the progesterone and or um, estrogen receptors being positive. So uh, it's basically anything that we as uh, you know healthcare providers can look at under the microscope or or looking at the um, genetic makeup of the cancer itself that can help us to differentiate in terms of either treatment or uh, even sometimes identification and prognosis. So every single cancer has uh, yeah, unique features. And that's what we say, like every cancer patient is unique and every cancer of that patient is unique, sometimes to the cellular level. So sometimes even the cancer cells that comprise the tumor can be different from each other. And for us to identify the biomarkers that are leading the growth or their, their hallmarks of the cancer itself is essential for us to make decisions in the right way. Mm -hmm. Okay, understood. Yeah, it's interesting that cancer identification has you know, become so advanced that we can identify some of these specific biomarkers. Yeah, so how do some of these known biomarkers end up affecting the prognosis for a cancer patient? Right, so uh, I wanted to... Um, uh, mentioned that there is uh, two kinds of, or at least th there's there's a lot of biomarkers, as I mentioned, and they could be measured in blood or in the tumor itself. Uh, but as you mentioned, a key word, which is, you know, there's prognostic biomarkers and there are predictive biomarkers. So prognostic biomarkers are those biomarkers that tell us how the cancer may behave irrespective of the treatment. So for example, we know triple negative breast cancer, which means that has none of the biomarkers that we typically see, it may be very aggressive, right? More than those who that are driven by hormones, for example, the uh, the, the ERP are positive cancers. So uh, 
the prognosis of the cancer can be determined by a multitude of things, including those biomarkers that we're looking at. And it can help us to tell us, you know, the patient may be a high risk of progression quickly compared to others. Um, uh, it tells the aggressiveness of the cancer itself and uh, how we should be in terms of the overall landscape uh, of the, of the you know, the, the natural history of the cancer. The other kinds of uh, the other classification of biomarkers are the predictive ones. So predictive biomarkers are those that help us to figure out if a treatment option makes sense for that patient, uh, either you use it or not. So there are negative predictive biomarkers and positive predictive biomarkers. Negative predictive biomarkers means that, for example, a patient with colon cancer and, um, and, and they have, a, for example, a mutation in a gene called KRAS, we know that that's a negative predictive biomarker for the use of certain drugs, uh, such as the Tuximab, Panitumumab, which are drugs that are targeting uh, a, a, you know, a pathway of the growth of the colon cancer. If you use that drug in that patient, then the patient, that's actually worse. So that's why it's so important to know the biomarkers for every cancer patient, because sometimes it's not only to help what to use, but also what not to use so we don't create any more you know, complications. Positive predictive biomarkers are those that, for example, in the case of lung cancer, if they have a mutation in EGFR or, or a MET uh, mutation or uh, an NTRAC fusion, those patients will respond exquisitely well to targeted drugs, sometimes, you know, medications they can buy out. So that is uh, a way for us to, uh, you know, classify different treatment options and guide the patient uh, on what's the best next step in, in the Given how helpful it can be to know what these biomarkers are, would you suggest that all cancer patients get genomic testing regardless of stage or subtype? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think this is important uh, because when I tell my patients is, okay, how would I want to treat them if they were my family, right? Mm -hmm. So I would like to have all the options ahead of me, understanding exactly why, uh, you know, sometimes I have uh, this cancer, why it happened. Or what can I do to plan ahead and make sure that I have all my options lined up nicely? Um, as much as possible, of course, there's no way to predict everything, but we we try our best. So um, my um, take on this is if a patient has advanced cancer, you know, that it's a cancer that cannot be removed by surgery or that is a cancer that is already spread outside of the site of origin, then absolutely 100% we should do biomarker testing and be as comprehensive as possible to look at all the options uh, because we know that not all techniques are the same and not all cancers are the same. So sometimes certain testing doesn't apply to everyone. So for example, um, there are certain um, you know mutations that can be easily be detected by using hotspot or doing um, uh, the compressive genomic panel, just normal one. Sometimes we need to look at the RNA changes that happen in the cancer. That requires an additional testing that sometimes, um, it, but it's not for everyone. So, uh, for example, RNA testing is good for certain fusions. So for example, the one called NRG uh, fusions or mutations that are actually found in a very specific group of patients. And uh, like, for example, a mucinous uh, lung cancer or uh, a pancreas cancer that doesn't have a mutation called KRAS those patients are going to be a higher chance that if we look for the RNA, we may be able to find those, those fusions or very unique mutations. 
Some of those sorts, for example, lung cancer could be easily done by doing a liquid biopsy, which is simply drawing blood from, um, you know, from the, you know, they just draw blood typically as, as any other uh, lab that you would do. And they send it for comprehensive genomic panel uh, testing and looking for mutations. Not only we find those results quicker because the liquid biopsies uh, actually can be read out within seven to 10 days maximum, but you also get more biomarkers and you get the results quicker than doing tissue-based testing, for example. So um, we should definitely look at biomarker testing for all, uh, particularly for therapeutic purposes, for treatment options for our patients with advanced cancer. Also for patients who have been tested before and they had a biomarker that was targeted and now the patient progresses on that, on that treatment, we want to see what happened at the cancer level. Did it change? What changed? What led that cancer to stop responding to that targeted drug? And what can we do to kind of overcome that resistance? Because sometimes the cancer has, you know, a driver mutation and also he has the passenger mutation, which takes over. So imagine, you know, someone's driving a car and then someone just stops that, that pilot from driving. Well, the co-pilot is going to try to take over, which is, you know, the secondary mutation. So if we can target that one as well, then the car doesn't go any further and we can stop the cancer growth further. So that's uh, a key understanding as well on, on how we handle uh, the, the testing and why we should be doing it. Uh, okay. So we'll get a little bit into clinical trials now. Regarding clinical trials, is genomic testing required to enroll in one of the biomarker-based clinical trials? Yes. So it all depends on the clinical trial, and that's why it's so important to have some support when you're looking for those, right? So, and that's exactly what MassiBio is all about. We want to help patients at the point of care, no matter where they are in their journey or the treatments or the testing that have done before. We try to tell the patients which tests have been done, which ones have not been done yet, and how we can optimize those. And, and that's precisely the reason is because Right now, if you go into clinical trials of doubt, which is the main source of clinical trials, there is about between 14,000 and 17,000 given the time, right? Of clinical trials, which is crazy. Many of them in the US, of course, because there's at least one global, like out of the global studies, there's a few sites that are in the United States. So you get in a lot of options and you don't even know what to do with them. Um, and, and the first criteria sometimes is a biomarker. And that biomarker could be either you know, that they call the locally uh, assessed. That means that we send the testing as oncologists uh, through any of those techniques that I mentioned. And then we can tell the patient, you know, you have the biomarker. Let's try to get you into that clinical trial. Uh, that's one way. This, sometimes this, the other way is that the patient uh, requires to submit a new sample or there's something called the central testing. So we can facilitate, you know, the, the patient to understand what's going on, try to get, you know, the sample sent out quickly so they can get tested be, uh, so they can be eligible. So that's like kind of the way to looking at this. Uh, and that could be sometimes said you, we only require, uh, I mean, a histochemistry test, which is the stain test, which is easy to do like a couple of days. Sometimes they need to do the comprehensive genomic testing and then find a specific mutation. So the idea is to be very proactive. Many of those trials are using the same platforms that we have for commercial vendors. So if we get the testing done ahead, then we have that information already for you to be using at the point of care for clinical trials. And one additional thing that is important is that sometimes 
we can bring the trial to you. So there, there is uh, one way to do it, which is called the just-in-time uh, clinical trial um, activation. That means that the study doesn't open at that site until we have one patient that is fully eligible. So we try to, first of all, make sure that the patient is fully screened and eligible for every single uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria, and also check for the biomarker and making sure that's the right one that the patient is going to be eligible for. And we can get that patient activated at that site so they don't have to move too far away to find a trial. So that's one way. The second one that is becoming more and more relevant, and we are embedded in that as a company, is the decentralized clinical trials. So those are trials that basically are managed at home. If you have the mutation or the alteration that is eligible for that drug taken by mouth, a nurse can go to your home, get everything done at, at your point of care. You don't have to wait to move and everything is done locally. So more and more, we're going to see this, uh, but definitely we need biomarker testing. We need to know where you are in terms of the, the, you know, the genomic testing that's been done, et cetera. So we can help you in, and, you know, knowledge is power, as you mentioned. Uh, so 100% advocate for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it, it sounds like knowing these biomarkers can help open up a whole array of options through clinical trials. Um, and that's one thing that's great about massive bio is that we can help patients navigate that and navigate the genomic testing process. Uh, so I think that's something great. The better chances we have to really make a difference in the life of the patient and lead to those uh, patients to become exceptional responders. Not everyone is exceptional responders, but the more we're focused on them, the better chances we get there uh, and the more we're going to understand how to target those patients in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like all these advancements don't come out of nowhere. They, they're developed through these clinical trials. And so yeah, it's exciting that we're doing so much focus on these biomarkers because hopefully in the end we come out with a lot of effective therapies for cancer. Yeah. And I, I must say, I appreciate all your metaphors. It helps me a lot. So I'm sure it's helping our audience. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. I always try to explain it that way. So it makes sense for people at least memorize that because, yeah, what did you say? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah the vivid image. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so would you say that biomarker-based clinical trials and therapies are considered more effective than those not targeting biomarkers? Right. So um, I think there's two layers here. So first, clinical trials, we know. Uh, so there, there was a survey done uh, that was done at, by the uh, analyzing the National Cancer Database of the last decade, basically, uh, 12 million patients who were in, in first line about to start um, uh, you know, treatment for their cancer. And they found that uh, it was a major challenge because only 0.1% of them were offered a clinical trial and enrolled. Like 0.1%. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and, and we see on the other side, there's all these clinical trials that don't accrue because you know, they don't have the patients. They don't, like, patients don't know that they're available. So that, there's a major gap that we can really overcome right now, and it's just basically like a low-hanging fruit. So that's one, one thing. But we know that based on the analysis of those 12 million patients, patients who were on the clinical trials that lived longer than those who were just given a standard of care. So that is one thing. Just being on a clinical trial is, a, it's, is something that gives you uh, an advantage in terms of you know living longer, having that goal of, having a better responses to treatment than what you are offered normal. So that's one thing. Wow. Yeah. 
And the other one is the biomarkers. So there is some data now that is emerging, you know, because the more drugs that we have available, the more biomarkers that we're understanding, the better options we have to make comparisons that are meaningful, at least statistical, right? So we always get the, you know, the great stories of someone who responded nicely because of biomarkers. Those are wonderful stories, but at the end of the day, that doesn't change policy, right? The FDA is not going to look at an exceptional responder and say, okay, we're going to change the whole industry because of that. Well, there's a little change on that, and we're trying to be part of that catalyst, you know, of that change by getting patients on studies. Um, but we know now that there is some signals that what we call progression-free survival, and there's a signal now coming in overall survival of different series that patients who are on biomarker-specific clinical trials that do better compared to those who uh, are getting, you know, clinical trials that are not specific to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very, very helpful. Uh, well, you've been so informative, doctor. Thank you. If you don't mind, it looks like we have just a couple additional questions that have come from some of our audience members, if you don't mind sticking around to answer some of those. Okay. Well, so someone asked, uh, which is a great question, how does Massive Bio help connect patients to biomarker-based trials? Can you offer some insight on this? Yes. So um, Massive Myovision was um, always from the beginning to help patients to find treatment options, no matter where they are, no matter their financial stability, no matter where they are in their cancer treatment uh, as a whole. And uh, the way we do it is by using two components. One is technology and the other one is concert services. All of them are free for patients. We set up a mission that we're going to help patients no matter what. Uh, there's already a lot of studies available and a lot of sponsors trying to get patients in and studies that can be open that we just simply can do it with technology. So the first thing is uh, once the patient reaches Massive Bio, uh, they you know basically get the records reviewed fully comprehensively, look at all the different components, actually is uh, 120 plus different things from you know your age to your location to the genomics, uh, anything related to your cancer, how you are in terms of the prior treatment options. And we uh, we know that's a painstaking process, you know, going through all of this. So we have to use technology. So we read your records through a technique called optim you know, OCR, which is optical character recognition. So it just reads it out basically uh, from the PDF or whatever form that you send it, sometimes random faxes or random paper notes. So we, we have the technology to do that training the system uh, pretty much every day. Um, and then it gets translated into a specific parameters, uh, which is th done through natural language processing. That goes into our system, and the system already has all the clinical trials in real time every 24 hours updated from clinicalstyle.gov, fully digitized. So basically, each criteria is matched to look at the patient's criteria that they have in front. And then run the testing. So instead of running you know, one trial at, at the time, we run the 14,000 or 15,000 studies in a single run in a matter of uh, minutes. Uh, and then we can give a report ready for you based on your location, based on your treatment so far, uh, and you're fully eligible for that. Once the report is put together, then someone from our team, for example, <laughs> goes and reaches out to the patient and uh, case managers help get the patient to the clinical trial where they are, making sure that things like, for example, logistics or insurance problems or access to the study, knowing, making sure that the study is open, is all done. So that's the concert services part. So it's really like an end-to-end -end 
solution. Uh, and that is all conditioned on a patient journey. Uh, as our families have, you know, gone through cancer and things like that, we really wanted to make it personal uh, and, and we're here to help. So the only way to do it is at scale is by using technology. So we have the app, we have the website, we have all the different things that we're trying to make things quicker as soon as possible. We can activate a clinical trial for the patient in a matter of days, hopefully. Yeah, great. Thank you for explaining in such detail and so well what Massive Bio does. You answered a lot of questions that I commonly get as a patient advocate, um, and I think it's helpful for patients to understand our whole process and how we do what we do. Okay, I think we have one more. Uh, so someone else asked another great question. Is there a cost to getting this genomic testing done to identify these biomarkers? Right. So, um, you know, every single test has some some cost, of course. Uh, but luckily, because of inclusion in the NCCN guidelines, which is the nationally recognized guidelines for uh, diagnosis and treatment of cancers, they are included for most cancers. Uh, the vendors uh, that are available, um, which are, there's plenty of them, but you may have heard of them, you know, Foundation Medicine, Garden, Health, um, Caris, uh, all of them, they are typically covered by Medicare, also covered by uh, common insurance. If you're in the exchanges, you should be covered. And they also have patient assistance programs. So make sure that you sign the back forms to you know, be eligible because many times they can uh, subsidize the rest of whatever is needed for your, your testing. Uh, what is important here is to get tested. So we always want to facilitate that because sometimes what happens, you know, we are oncologists running the mill, seeing a lot of patients be here and there. Sometimes we may assume that the patient had already been tested, particularly if they come to us in a, in a later part of the treatment journey so far. So um, in order to not, you know, missing all those things, I think the patient should be empowered and understand that this is an option for them. They should be having that information available to them. Uh, so in that case, even if you change providers, that information is carried with you at all times. And a massive buy was trying to do that as well by facilitating testing and also by providing the patient with a report that includes all that testing being done. So they have a full nice summary. So whatever they go, everything is ready for them to be activated or either standard of care or clinical trial options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's great for patients to know how helpful that can be and just have a comprehensive picture of their cancer uh, diagnosis. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Bonilla, and for answering some of our questions. I'm sure it's very helpful to a lot of audience members who are wondering about biomarker clinical trials. Uh, so we truly appreciate you sharing your time and expertise. Um, if anyone else has any follow-up questions or is interested in learning more about cancer biomarkers, uh, genomic testing, clinical trials, targeted therapies, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach us by email at support at massivebio.com or by phone at 844-627-7246. You can also learn a lot more by exploring our website at massivebio.com.